Jesus is the one who gave the law. Okay, so track with me here. The one who gives the law, because he demands perfection, puts himself under the law. He then fulfills the law to live a perfect life that he might meet the demands of the law because his father demands perfection, that he might become a curse of the law on our behalf to save us from what we could not do. That is awesome. Hi everyone, Merry Christmas and welcome to Live in the Light. Live in the Light is a radio ministry that seeks to see God glorified through changed lives through the teaching of his word. Radical truths radically transforming us. That's our heart, that's our hope, and that's our prayer today as we continue on in our Christmas series, A Live in the Light Christmas. We've been looking at some great truths concerning the first coming of Jesus Christ. And we're praying that alongside these truths, that our vision be renewed, our worship be reinvigorated, and our joy, well, abounding. That's the kind of joy I want this Christmas. It's the real joy we want for you also. So let's jump into God's word today and join our teacher, Pastor Robbie Simons, in Galatians chapter 4 with a message that's all about the freedom found in Jesus Christ. Bless you this day, loved ones. I've said this many times with the history of our church, and I'd love to say it again. I just, I marvel at the fact that the reason it's the year 2016 is because all the, this is what the God haters of the world, they just will never admit they hate it so much. They hate it so much. It's 2016 AD, Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. Our entire globe ultimately revolves around this event of the incarnation. The entire globe and the atheists, those who again hate God and reject him, they just, it bugs them so much. But isn't that, isn't that just a marvel? Okay, like, so if I'm not a believer, and just that fact alone caused me to sit back and be like, how did that happen? How could it be that the entire timing of the world is centered on the birth of Christ? So they try to explain it away. And they, no, no, you can't. It's before Christ and after Christ. Every God in his sovereignty decided that all the time is centered on his son because the entire universe is centered on his son. Hey, loved ones, let that encourage you. No one's ever gonna change that because God decided it would be. Love it. Love him. God is sovereign. Revel in that. Rest in his sovereignty. God's timing, God's sovereignty, God's mercy. God's mercy. Notice, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. What I want you to see here, okay? God's plan for redemption. It wasn't like, okay, my son, um, I'm gonna send you to earth. Uh, You're gonna get there. You're gonna be born, grow up a little bit, learn how to talk and stuff like that. And then we'll kind of take a survey and we'll assess what do we do from there? We'll see, do you have to die? Maybe you don't. Maybe we'll just kind of see how things are going. Things will get better. No, no, no. The plan from the very beginning before the foundation of the world, God knew was gonna happen because he's sovereign. And in his mercy, God's plan was, I'm sending my son to die for the sins of, of the ones I've created. There was no option. The whole time, the plan was to send the son to die. What is that? That's the mercy of God. When the fullness of time had come, God sent his son. Listen, for you and for me, that's mercy. That's love. That's grace. That's awesome. Look again at verse four. 
God sent forth a son, notice now, born of woman, born under the law. So here, loved ones, if you notice, here again, we have that theological term I mentioned last week, hypostatic union. That is Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man. One person, two natures. Can you see in this verse where Jesus is labeled as fully God and where Jesus is all indicate he is fully man? Look here, it says, God sent forth his son, fully God. The son of God, God himself came down to earth. Now notice, born of woman, fully man. So right here in this verse, here we have the reality of the nature of Jesus Christ, one person, two natures, fully God, fully man, born of woman is stressing the incarnation. And then Paul says to the church of Galatia that he was born under the law. Now, why did he say that? Why is it important that we learn Jesus was born under the law? This is, once again, the staggering humility of Christmas. Okay, so think, okay? Put on your theological minds for a second. Pay attention. Open your eyes and your hearts right now and your minds to learn, okay? Jesus is the one who gave the law. The one who gave the law dwells on earth as a a human being, fully man, places himself under the law, Like he subjects himself to the law that he gave. That he might live a perfect life to fulfill the law. Okay, so track with me here. The one who gives the law, because he demands perfection, puts himself under the law. He then fulfills the law to live a perfect life that he might meet the demands of the law because his father demands perfection, that he might become a curse of the law on our behalf to save us from what we cannot do. That is awesome. Jesus Christ was born under the law in a staggering form of humility that he might become a curse for us, that his blessing might be seen in our life, that our sin might be placed upon him. So I told you each week, I'm gonna try to do Christmas hymn lyrics to songs. Here's one right here from Joy to the World. No more let sin and sorrows grow. Why? Um, Nor thorns infest the ground. Might as well just put weeds in there, eh? Hate weeds, thorns, same thing, right? Because they're just the curse of sin, okay? He comes to make his blessings flow. That's why Christ came. He came to become a curse for us far as the curse is found. He comes to save the world from its sin. Are you so sick of your sin? I'm so sick of sin. I hate sin. I hate sin here. Some of you are here right now and you're just so sick of sin. It's killing you, emptying you, devastating you. It doesn't have to be that way. Jesus Christ came to set you free from sin. Jesus Christ came to release you from the bondage of sin. In fact, look at our context of the book of Galatians. Look at chapter three, verse 13. Chapter three, verse 13. Look at it there. Galatians three thirteen. Look at this. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So do you see that? This is why he came, born under law, to put himself under the law, to fulfill the law, to become a curse for us in the law, to take on our sin that we might be set free if we choose to believe by grace through faith. It's a pretty good deal, loved ones. It's a pretty good deal. So notice here, notice what's happening in Galatians 4 so far. We have incarnation fact, 
the facts of the incarnation. God sent his son, born of woman, fully man, born under the law for the reason that he came and the facts that he did this. We go from incarnation fact now to incarnation fruit in verses five, six, and seven. And now we come to our official outline, which we will move through quite quickly now. And the question we're answering really is this, why Christmas? Why was Jesus Christ sent? Why the incarnation? And we answer that now from verses five, six, and seven. Here's the first answer to this. Again, our official outline now, which is God sent forth his son. Why? Number one, to redeem me from my sin. He sent forth his son to redeem me from my sin. So look at verse five, okay? So we have our context, I hope very clearly presented. And now notice the cause. To redeem those who were under the law. So Jesus Christ was born under the law. He was sent to redeem those who were under the law. What does redeem mean? Redeem means to purchase out of. Redeem means to buy back from. It's more than rescue. It's rescuing by buying someone out of slavery. Jesus as our redeemer, that song and that word comes up a lot in the songs we sing. Jesus as our redeemer paid our ransom. He purchased us out of sin and Satan's grasp and slavery to death and gave us life. This is why he came. This is why the incarnation happened, that he might live perfectly and then die, that we might be saved. So this is why the incarnation carries so much joy. Because when Christ arrives on earth, the payment for our sin has arrived. Okay, so as you're opening up your presence this season, please, please let us discipline ourselves and we really, we really, really need to do this and should do this as people who call themselves true, authentic, mature followers of Jesus Christ. As you open up, let me just ask you this too. Like genuinely right now, before you and God, are you more excited about material presence this Christmas than you are about the reality of Jesus Christ, the son of God given to you? As I mean, you just answer that honestly to your heart right now. I don't know what the answer is. God does, and you do too. Are you more excited about what you might get this Christmas materially than you are even about the truths of this message here today. If you are more excited about material things, that's a place for, I need to repent. Like my heart is not in a good place. Because anyone who's here is like, I'll follow Christ. And you honestly, see, we prove what we love, by what we think about, what we choose to uh, spend our time on, by what we watch, by what we do. What we spend our money on. It really shows where our hearts are at. The discipline I pray for this church, for you and me, is that we would understand that when we open Galatians 4 verse 5 up and we read that he has redeemed those, me, you, under the law, this is the greatest present you could ever dwell upon. There is no present that comes close. The fact that we have been purchased out of our slavery to sin. So this Christmas, my prayer is that we would understand that the gift presented in Galatians chapter 4 verse 5 is a gift of eternal value, of full and complete perfect redemption that any temporal gift of this world cannot even hold a candle to. I can't force you to do that. I can't come up alongside you and say you have to do this, but this is the desire that we would have before the Lord. And that's why words like come up in O Holy Night, O Holy Night. Who likes O Holy Night? Yes, yes, it's awesome, isn't it? I think those who didn't put their hands up, you just want to, but you just didn't have enough, whatever. Hey, right here, right here. O holy night, 
The stars are brightly shining, okay? Now, now watch this. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Incarnation fact, okay? Now we go incarnation fruit. Um, long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared, okay, renewed vision. He appears and you see him. Now I'm seeing clearly till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. Now, we don't know for sure exactly the author of O Holy Night, what he meant by this phrase. What I take that to be is, when I see the Savior, all of a sudden, when I see my eyes by faith upon Jesus Christ sent to pay for my sins, to give me life, all of a sudden, when I see by faith the reality of Christ, I know why I live. Now I have purpose. When I got saved at age 22, I could not articulate enough. I know why I live. I know why I'm here. I know why my purpose in life, all of a sudden there's meaning to everything of my existence. There's nothing like, there's just nothing like it. That's why Christ, all the, why, why is the suicide rate in our society multiplying like almost on a monthly basis? Because when you remove God from the equation, there's nothing more to live for. You are emptying out our society of any true and ultimate purpose in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what you're left with is yourself and a belief system of nothing. That will not work. The world can say whatever it wants to. It can come up with all the excuses ever. They can try to manufacture the system of living, but the reality is no human being will ever truly be satisfied apart from life in Jesus Christ. So what happens? Lives look around. They say, well, I'm not living for that. I'm living for that. There's no worth in myself. I'm just going to kill myself. It's, what, it's so tragic. It's so sad. It's inevitable when you start to cancel out the meaning of God that we are image bearers of God and made for a purpose in the Lord Jesus Christ. Who knows? Maybe there's someone here right now and you're in a very dark place and you've been contemplating all sorts of different thoughts. Jesus Christ is the answer. He is the one that allows you. He's the one that allows you to see why you live and the purpose that comes and the overwhelming worth that is found in the soul. That's the incarnation. That's the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm alive. I'm alive. I will never die. I will never die. doesn't mean life gets easier. It just means life gets so much better, so much better. And the life to come when Jesus Christ returns, well, it's going to be, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be perfect. And that's why we live. Okay, so notice. Renewed vision, renewed worship, the worth of my soul in Jesus Christ, renewed joy, a thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. Of course it does. You rejoice because you understand. I mean, how tired is the world in sin? How tired are you? I'm so fatigued here, just so exhausted. Jesus Christ is the one that allows us to continue because there's a thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and what a beautiful line. So the darkness of our world, but you see the incarnation and this is why the Bible in Malachi 4 describes prophetically Jesus Christ's birth as the son of righteousness, S-U-N, the son of righteousness. Risen, hark the herald, risen with healing in its wings. Jesus Christ rises as the son of righteousness. So in a very, very dark world, good time of year for us to think about this metaphor. It's so dark in the morning and night, but to see the sun rise, the new and glorious morn, that's the gospel. That's the manger. That's the thrill of hope. That's the source of joy that we have been redeemed from our sin through the birth of Jesus Christ. Think about it. 
what sin puts hold on us and Jesus Christ comes to set us free from. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Why? To redeem us. Secondly, this, to adopt me as his own. So we go from redemption now to adoption. Look at verse five, okay? So to redeem us, those who are under the law, so that, right? So we are redeemed through Christ. And the implication of this is if you're redeemed, then you're adopted. You're adopted as a son or daughter of the Lord, that we might receive adoption as sons. Now that's so powerful. This is the powerful doctrine of adoption. That is why when we sing that song, we sang that song last weekend, um, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. When we sing that, the volume goes up. The volume goes up because as we sing that, our minds are being renewed. Wait a second. I'm a child of God. I've literally been adopted into the family of God. I am safe. I'm secure. I cannot lose. I belong to him. All the meaning of my life. There's nothing like it. So the volume goes up because there's often tears in our eyes and rolling down our cheeks because I have nothing to be afraid of. Yes, life is hard. Yes, there's trials all around me. But at the end of the day, I'm secure. I'm safe. I'm his. God has a picture of me in his wallet, we like to say around here, right? How beautiful is that? Because, because um, I am his and he is mine. Just think of the doctrine of adoption. In the Roman world, when a family adopted a child, that child came in not one uh, ounce inferior to a biological child. The status of the adopted child was completely equal to any other biological child in the family. That's you and me in Christ. Your status as a child of God is the same, we're gonna hear this too, the same as the inheritance of Jesus Christ, the son of God. So let the doctrine of adoption just bless you so much, okay? Um, Jesus Christ loved you so much and God the Father loved you so much that he at some point went up to you and assuming your life vibrant in, in the Lord Jesus Christ, he went up to you and chose you before the foundation of the world and he said, you, you're mine. He said, you, I want you, you're mine. You're becoming part of my family. You are now have the same status as my son, as a co-heir of Jesus Christ, and you now forever in my family and I will never ever let you go ever, ever. You cannot get rid of that. You cannot move away from that. You are in the status and the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are his daughter. You are his child because he's adopted you as his own. That makes today a pretty good day, doesn't it? Eh? Yeah, uh, despite a health crisis, despite financial hardship, despite the difficulties of relationship, this is what overcomes and supersedes all of that. I'm a child of God. And so therefore, today's another pretty good day because I've been redeemed and then I've been adopted. How powerful, how powerful uh, that is. Now, what happens when we're adopted? Look now at verse six. Verse six, it says this. So I've been redeemed and adopted. And because you are sons, notice this, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So God sends his son, verse four. In verse six, God sends the spirit of his son. So what do we know? Ready? Ready? This is, this is a good moment for our church right now. If you've truly received the son by faith, then you must also receive the Holy Spirit. You must also, there's, there's no exceptions. If you've truly received the Son, you must also receive the Spirit of the Son because that's what happens. 
When you are regenerated, you receive the spirit of God, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You can't separate being saved and have the spirit of God within you. So, so interesting, verse six, ready? This is very interesting, ready for this? What is the proof that I'm adopted? The proof that I'm adopted is that I have God's spirit in my heart. I prove I'm adopted by God because I have his spirit, his Holy Spirit in the text says into our hearts. Now, what's the proof I have God's spirit? The proof I have God's spirit, according to Galatians 4 verse 6 is intimacy with the father. He has sent his spirit into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Abba, Father is a um, a powerful, intimate term of endearment, um, taking off the Greek words and Aramaic words for father. No slave would ever address the head of the family as Abba, Father. That is a term reserved for a child, biological or adopted child. It's a wonderful, intimate term of endearment of a, of a child referring to their father. Now, the spirit is sent into our hearts that we might cry a loud and earnest cry, that verb's strong there in verse six, crying out, Abba, Father. What are we learning here? I know I'm adopted if I have God's spirit in my heart. I know I have God's spirit in my heart through an authentic, genuine relationship of love with the father a relationship of intimacy. This is a good time to examine ourselves right now. Do you have a genuine, authentic relationship of intimacy with the Father? I don't care if you're the toughest guy in the room or the most tender child in this room right now. Every single person who's genuinely in relationship with the Lord in some form and in some way will cry out from their lives, Abba, Father. Not as a statement of religion, It's an expression of true relationship in Jesus Christ. Do you truly love the Lord? Do you truly have a relationship where you're interacting and you are crying out in earnest throughout your life because you love the Lord so much? That is the single greatest sign that you are genuinely saved in the Lord Jesus Christ because you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is why the first fruit, I know it's one fruit of the spirit, but the first fruit mentioned as part of the fruit is love. Love for the Lord, love for others. Love and then joy and then peace and so on. Do you have it? Because right here it says, if I'm truly adopted, I have a spirit, if I have a spirit, then I have a love for the father. Loved ones, we cry out, daddy. Just this week, I got home. I stepped out of my car. Before I could even really get out of the car, the car door was open. The door to our house opened. And then I heard from my youngest child, I heard the loud expression, daddy. And then she runs up and then she gives me a hug. Okay. In that moment, there's no question as to whom this daughter belongs to. There's no question. She would not do that with any other man in this world. It's because she belongs to me. There should be no question in our lives if we say we follow the Lord Jesus Christ and belong to God the Father. There should be no question whatsoever as to whom we belong to by the way we cry out, Father, Abba, Daddy, Papa. There should be no question. Do you have it? Is that real for your life? Some of you are here right now, and this is about religion. It's not about relationship. Some of you are here right now. There's never been true life. There's never been true voice. There's never been true heart. There's never been true love. There's never been true adoration. There's never been true affection. It's been a religion. You don't get saved through religion. 
You get saved through relationship. And when relationship is true, it must flow from the fruit of our lives. And we cry out, Abba, Father. God sent his son to redeem me from sin. God sent his son to adopt me as his own. Thirdly, God sent forth his son to make me an heir to make me an heir. It just seems to get better and better. Look at verse uh, seven now. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Okay, notice the progression. Slave, son, heir. Praise the Lord, church. Praise the Lord, that's awesome. Slave, son, heir. Oh, holy night again. This is the uh, next verse. Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love, his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break. We're in slavery to sin. He comes, we're saved, chains he breaks. He breaks us free for the slave is our brother. Now we proclaim the message to our brothers and sisters also in slavery and sin. And in his name, all oppression shall cease. Sweet hymns of joy, chorus. In grateful chorus raise we, how can you not? You renewed vision, renewed worship, renewed joy. Let all within us praise his holy name. Just tempted to sing it again, right, 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 right? But look what's happening here. The, the beauty of this, like when we sing this song in the weeks to come, don't sing it quietly. Sing it with everything you have to express your gratitude that you've been redeemed and adopted and made an heir of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the question is right now, and we began this message with, what are we looking at? What are we worshiping? Where's our joy? And really right now it comes down to the incarnation is where are you in relation to the manger? The closer you get to this in this Christmas season, this is the opportunity for vision and then worship and then joy to see the child in the manger. But here's the reality. Uh, some of us, are we, um, are we, are we distant? Um, are we, um, are we distracted? And we kind of know he's over there, but we're kind of looking around at everything else but him. Uh, some of us are um, disinterested, disheartened. Taking and allowing the enemy to take the situations of our life to, to uh, be kept away from the reality of the manger. Some of us are, are, are devastated through events of our lives. And the enemy has caused that to be that God doesn't care, God isn't there. And we're not looking at the very person who's the answer to everything we could ever want. Some of us could even be dead and we've never truly looked at the manger and thought about who's actually in it. But I'm praying this church would be filled with people who are devoted. And as you are devoted, you draw near. And as you draw near and you look and you see with worship, you begin to understand there's some very, very, powerful truths as you draw near to the manger. And the first thing that happens is you understand this. Okay? And then as you understand that God sent forth his son and you understand that he did this to redeem me. And when you marvel at that and the tears fill your eyes, and then you understand that not only did he redeem me, but now he has called me his own and he has adopted me. Not only has he adopted me, 
you're like, wow, this is getting better and better, but I'm actually a co-heir with the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything that belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ now belongs to me because of the love, the grace, and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you're staring upon the manger and you see why the child came, this is what makes all of life make absolute sense. And when you understand all this truth we just went through, as you stare in the manger and knowing he lived and died and rose again, there's really only one other word that can describe all of this, and it's this. Right? 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 Amen. Amen. Bam. Bam. All of life, all of life begins here. All of life is lived here. This is the opportunity that we have right now. So think about it as I begin. Where are you in relation to the manger? Renewed vision, renewed worship, renewed joy. Thanks for listening to Live in the Light today. If you'd like to hear this message again or any messages in this series, visit us online at liveinthelight.ca. Or you can contact us by mail. Our mailing address in Canada is 500 Great Lakes Boulevard, Oakville, Ontario, L6L6X9. We are excited to let you know that Live in the Light is now available on iTunes. Our daily broadcast can be delivered to your phone or device via podcast. Each episode is up there for you to listen to as they become available live on the air. Check out our website and subscribe to get Pastor Robbie's most recent messages. That's all for today. Join us next time at Live in the Light.